Karma is not about control, karma is about liberation. Only when you talk about mukti, we talk about karma. We don't talk about karma about heaven and hell. Karma means my action, my responsibility, my life is my making. So if you understand this, you will not be controlled from outside, you will be liberated from inside in the sense. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Mind Valley podcast. Today's guest is the famous Indian yogi mystic and visionary Sadhguru. Now, this is not an ordinary guest. I got to say Sadhguru is one of the most profound individuals I've ever had on the Mind Valley podcast. And he is blowing up across the world right now. You may have seen the recent Instagram post from Will Smith when Will was hosting Sadhguru in his home. Sadhguru is an unusual man. Firstly, when you think of Indian mystics and Indian gurus, I think many people reflect on names like Paramahansa Yogananda or Osho. What I like about Sadhguru is that he is, in every sense of the word, a mystic. He is a yogi, but he's also a guy who rides around the United States on a motorbike. And as I'm interviewing him right now, he is in a trailer in Monterey, traveling across the country, experiencing... Yeah, I wouldn't drive a trailer. I'm in a small camper loaded on a truck. You're a camper loaded in a truck. Well, you're also <laughs> a man who loves facts, and thank you for correcting me. Sadhguru is here with me, and I'm Sadhguru. I'm going to read out your bio for people who may not have heard of you. I want you to know that this is the man who has been named one of India's 50 most influential people by India today. That is a huge honor, given that there are approximately 1.4 billion Indian people in the world today, me included. He has been featured on CNN, CNBC, Fox, PBS, BBC, the New York Times. He holds a Guinness World Record. And I love this one. There's so many useless Guinness records out there, but he holds a Guinness record for Project Green Hands, where he was involved in planting over 800,000 trees in three days with 200,000 volunteers. He's been invited to speak at the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, TED, Google, Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, and other esteemed organizations. Now, Sadhguru is out with a new book called Karma, and the book is blowing up on Amazon. Right now, as I'm reading this, the book is an editor's pick. It is in the best of nonfiction category, and it has close to 400 reviews, five stars. I am reading the book right now, and I got to tell you, it is one of those books that is so beautiful because it gets you thinking about the world in a new way. It's surprising. It's stunning. Some of the chapters will raise more questions, but that to me is the mark of a good book. And so let's welcome Sadhguru onto the Mind Valley podcast. Sadhguru, welcome. Namaskaram. Wherever you are, all of you, namaskaram to you. <laughs> Sadhguru, there are 3,000 people live with us today. And I'd like to kick off with the first question. Now, I know your body of work covers a wide spectrum, but today we're going to be talking about karma. What is karma and why did you write this book? As you know, right now, the world is in the throes of this pandemic. Particularly India right now is going through a lot. We have lost many people who are dear to us. Well, the nation is making all the efforts possible, but these are not easy times. Having said that, karma means action. Whose action? My action. Whose responsibility? My responsibility. Karma is the most dynamic way to exist in the sense. Karma essentially means, when you say, my life is my karma, it means my life is my making. Well, for a long time, people, to be just able, to handle difficult situations, to be able to handle situations which don't fall into our patterns of logic and reason. We have been telling people that everything is managed from up above. Well, the coming generation of people once again have come to a place, the ancient generations knew this very well, 
but once again, after many centuries, the coming generation of people, I don't think anybody of the next generation want their life to be managed from heaven. They want to be in charge of their lives. If they want to be in charge of their lives, it's most important to understand that there is something called as karma. Karma means it is a residual impact of all the actions that you perform. When I say action, as you sit here, your body is doing certain functions, which is an action. Your mind is doing certain type of actions. Your emotions are doing certain other types of actions. And your energetic body is doing another kind of action. So there are four dimensions of activity going on within you in wakefulness and sleep. But if you take just wakefulness, let's say from the moment you got up to this moment, how much has happened in body, mind, emotion and energy, and how much of it is conscious, if you look at it, for almost every human being, it's way below one percent. If we want to understand the consequence of this, let's say you get onto your bicycle and you want to ride for ten minutes, in this ten minutes, nine minutes you close your eyes and ride. Well, we know where to pick you up, all right? So this is what it means. Right now, people feel that life is hitting them, you know, they don't know from where. They think somebody from up there is slapping them in the face. No, this is the residual impact of your own karma. Karma does not mean that you did good or bad. It's not about good and bad karma. It is just that everything that happened to you in terms of thought, emotion, action and energetic reverberations, the residual impact is there as memory. When I say memory, your existence itself is memory. Say you are wishing, how? Because there is a certain memory bank. If we take away this memory, there is no person like you. If you further go and take away your genetic memory, there is no this human being at all. If you further go and take away the evolutionary memory, there is no possibility of human species. So you are a human being, you are this person, all this is based on evolutionary memory, karmic memory, genetic memory, and variety of other levels of memory. We classify memory as eight different dimensions of memory. All these memories put together, you sit here, and you may not remember all of them, but they are, have a role to play. For example, uh, let's say twenty-five generations ago, how your great-great-great-grandfather looked, you do not know, but his nose could be sitting on your face right now. Even your skin tone remembers how your forefathers were a million years ago. So, it is this bank of memory which makes you who you are and all of that or not even a minuscule of that is actually in your conscious memory. The residual impact of this is playing up as tendencies within you. If you do not overcome these tendencies or if you do not rise or transcend above these tendencies of karma, then all that will be happening is past will be repeating itself. The dead are living through you. If you want a life of your own, if you want to be a fresh life here, it's important that you enjoy the richness of your karma, at the same time you're able to stay above that. You're able to use this to enhance the quality of your life, but you don't allow it to seep into today, because if it seeps into today, you have no life. Your parents, your grandparents, your forefathers will start living through you. This is very important. You understand and accept karma for what it is, at the same time you create a little space from it. This whole book is a step-by-step -step process as to how to get there. Now, what is interesting about the book, Sadhguru, is that you go into some really interesting ideas. So this was one of the things that I found fascinating. You mentioned a landmark experiment at Emory University in Atlanta, done in 2013. And what they did was they took a cage of mice and they would blow the fragrance of cherry blossom into the cage. And as that fragrance went into the cage, they would jolt the mice with a mild electric shock. Now, what they found is that after a few attempts, every time the mice smelled the fragrance of cherry blossom, they would freak out because they were expecting the electric shock. But what they found is that the mice's children and the children of the children, three generations down, if they smell cherry blossom, they would still go into a frenzy 
because they would be expecting a threat. What is going on there? Is this evidence that there is something, for lack of a better word, karma that's being passed down generation to generation? See, there is substantial evidence today. That was some time ago, this Emory University experiment. Now there is substantial evidence to show that there is something called as community learning. This is in the yogic culture, we call this Kula Vedana. An entire clan goes through sufferings. An entire clan goes through certain benefits and certain capabilities within themselves. Simply because of genetic connections, being in the same ecosystem, they learn without being taught anything. Well, this is not just for human beings and mice. Even among the plant life, this happens in a significant way. For example, if a certain species of trees are in one group, and let's say an elephant comes in and starts eating, when an elephant eats, it doesn't just eat the leaf, it rips off the branches and everything, so it's painful for the tree. The moment this happens, all the other trees within a short distance, they will all get alerted and they will make their leaves bitter or mildly poisonous. Right. So you will see always when the elephants eat in one place, when they're done with it, when the leaf starts turns bitter and they will leave the next bunch of trees and go to a faraway place and then eat, simply because the communication goes on. So I'm saying this learning process as a collective is something that we have completely missed simply because of the kind of schoolrooms we have created and the culture of individuality that we have created. Otherwise, the Kula Vedana and Kula Samskaras are very much a part of it. Many tribes excelled in certain skills. Even now, there have been experiments as to how, and I don't want to go into the full length of it, two boys, one born in Sao Paulo and one born in Detroit, both of them are given how to handle a football, that's a soccer ball. And they find the boy born in Sao Paulo, he's able to handle the ball way better than the Detroit boy who gets the same level of training and both of them are physically fit and young boys, eight to 12 years, those four years, some kind of experiment was made. At the age of 12, from eight to 12, when both of them got exactly the same kind of training, the Sao Paulo boy is able to handle the ball way better than the Detroit boy, simply because a culture of football out there that's so interesting. So there are certain advantages that are being formed within groups. But how does that prevent us from stereotyping or labeling people? Saying, for example, Indians are not good at sports. Brazilians are amazing at football. Americans are great at sarcasm. The thing is, there are differences in the way we are. If we want to make it into discrimination, that is a serious problem that individual people have within themselves. So right now, somebody has a little advantage. That doesn't mean they will be the best. Generally, people who have little advantage tend to become complacent and they lose out. So it is not necessary that an Indian cannot do well in sport. Indians are not doing well in sport because there's not enough infrastructure all over the place. There is no culture of lots of people getting into it, only a small segment of privileged classes getting into it. Well, you see in cricket, more a variety of people from all kinds of backgrounds have gotten into it. Just see the quality of cricket, how India is like right, right exactly. on the top of the world. So one of the things which I really like about your book is you multiple times across the book, you say this, the idea of individuality is separateness, and that is the basis for all suffering. You speak about the idea that one of the ways to shed bad karma is to approach everything as if it is part of you, everything with reverence and love. Could you talk about that idea? So individuality means if you want to check whether you're really an individual, all you have to do is <laughs> keep your mouth closed and hold your nose for two minutes. Let me see how much of an individual existence you are. Without these openings and constant transaction with the rest of the world, you cannot exist. This is not only in terms of respiration. There is food, there is water, not just that. On the cellular level, on the atomic level, there is a whole lot of transaction for you to exist. So your idea of you being an individual is just your psychological, you know, <laughs> reality. It has no existential reality. If existentially it is true, just shut yourself off and let me see how you will exist. You cannot exist. So having said that, 
See, for a small, tiny little speck of a creature, like us, like human beings, in this cosmos, you're not even a speck of dust. For this speck, the magnanimity of the creation is such that it's given as an individual experience. We can sit here and wonder about the creation itself. This is not a small privilege. But when a privilege is given to you, enjoy it, make use of it, do not take it too seriously. Because at least when you get buried, you understand you're part of the earth, you're not an individual, all right? Problem is most people only get it from the maggots. If they get it now, their entire life will change. If they understand if my individuality is only a drama that I'm playing, uh, you can enjoy your individuality and also experience your universality. Right. But right now you take your individuality too seriously and you will get your universality at least being a part of the globe only when you're buried. Unfortunate, you must know it when you're alive. I love that idea. Across so many different spiritual lines, spiritual teachers say that the larger you can extend your reverence, your love, your compassion for other life, the more you evolve spiritually. So I love that that is such a recurring theme in your book. And I think it's a message we all need to hear. Now, one of the things though, Sadhguru, is that I grew up in a Hindu family. Karma was always explained to me in a very weird way that confused <laughs> me so much so that at the age of 19, I told my dad, I'm no longer a Hindu. I'm like, look, even Gandhi said, Gandhi said, I'm a Hindu, but I'm also a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian. This is how karma was explained to me. I remember my aunt was trying to convince me to become vegetarian. So I grew up in Malaysia. In Malaysia, we eat a rice dish with anchovies. It's called nasi lama. If you're Malaysian, you know what it is. It's rice and the anchovies on the side. And my aunt said, well, if you eat meat, if you eat a cow, in your next life, you will be a cow and someone will eat you. So I pointed to the dish I was eating and I'm like, okay, there are 10 anchovies here on this plate. Are you saying that in my next life, I will become each and every one of these tiny fishes? And my aunt couldn't answer that. And I, as a six-year-old, thought I was really smart. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know... Like, Your aunt like, was just trying to control you. <laughs> yes. But how would you explain karma to someone who grew up in an Eastern culture where karma takes on a completely different meaning and is used for control and for right and wrong? No, I would say using uh, karma as an instrument of creating fear or guilt is a Western instrument, not an Eastern one. By the time your aunt came into the world, there was too much Western influence in the country. In many ways, being ruled by the British for decades, we somewhere assumed they're superior to us. We're still trying to shed it, <laughs> many of us have <laughs> still not been out of it. So because of that, we took to those things where the entire society is only based on guilt and fear. The whole religious structures of the world, unfortunately, based on fear and guilt. Without fear and guilt, there is no nothing. Without reward and punishment, there is no nothing. This fundamentally dips down from the fundamental idea of heaven and hell. If you are good, God will send you to heaven. If you are bad, he will send you to hell and burn you there forever, whatever. Right. Not just for a few days, forever, okay? <laughs> if you are burning forever, maybe it'll be okay. I'm saying only if you're outside and go into fire, it's very painful. If you're burning all the time, I don't think it'll be a problem. You'll get used to the temperature. Like <laughs> right now, we have a certain body temperature. We've gotten used to it, all right? <laughs> maybe your body temperature will be 300 degrees centigrade, but... One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality to health and wellness to relationship is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, 
You are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mindvalley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. <laughs> it so, should be okay. <laughs> we must understand, however individual people might have tried to use it, karma is not about control. Karma is about liberation. Only when you talk about mukti, we talk about karma. We don't talk about karma about heaven and hell. Karma means my action, my responsibility, my life is my making. So if you understand this, you will not be controlled from outside, you will be liberated from inside in the sense. See, it's like this. Let us say people are eating, drinking, smoking, whatever they are doing. You can do those things or not do those things, because you're controlling yourself, because it's a bad thing to do. Or you can make yourself in such a way that you're feeling so fantastic, you don't need to do those things. So one way is you're controlling it, another way is you're liberated. If you're controlling it, you will do all kinds of other freaky things. This happened one day. If you can mind, well, you can take a joke, I'm sure. Hello. Yes, I'm sure we can. <laughs> so on a certain day, Shankaran Pillai, was in his office and the young woman didn't have her transport and he offered he will drop her home. So she got into his car and they were driving. When a lonely stretch of road came, he parked on the roadside and suddenly he became like an octopus. That means his limbs were all over her. Well, she pushed him away and said, you fool, I got into your car thinking you're a decent fellow. What the hell are you doing with me? He said, oh, I'm sorry, I quit smoking. So you forcefully give up something and you will start doing something else freaky, the world is going on like this. No, you don't have to quit smoking, you're not an automobile. If you're an automobile, you must worry about how to quit smoking. A human being, you don't have to quit smoking because you don't smoke anyway. Okay, you picked up a habit, you picked up something, you liked something where your pleasure, you did it. And if you can keep it aside, no problem with anything. The problem right now is compulsiveness. Karma means consciousness, that you become conscious, that it is my actions, my thoughts, my emotions, my way of being, which is making me who I am. So this is consciousness, this is liberation, this is not control. Now, one of the things, by the way, I want to say that I really enjoyed about your book is your bizarre sense of humor. Every Why few do you pages. say bizarre? <laughs> because because well, I'll, I'll explain why I say bizarre in a moment, right? Every few pages, Sadhguru leaves a joke. He will make a point and then he'll go, and this happened. And then he will tell a joke. But your jokes are about people over drinking, about people visiting prostitutes, about a guy painting a donkey red. They are all of these human stories. And I love that. It's very refreshing and it's down to earth. I say it's weird because... You think I'm an alien? I'm a human being. I can only joke about human beings. I think weirdness is a fantastic <laughs> quality. I think you're weird as heck and I like you because of that. I'm not as fond of gurus who take themselves too seriously. See, I'm the only one who is normal here. People think just because I don't shave, I'm weird. Have you tried shaving? Why is it that gurus always have to grow a beard? No, it's not that gurus have to grow a beard. It grows on every man. Why some men have to remove it? That's a question they must answer. I didn't do anything. Why are you oh, asking I, me? I, no, but I'm curious. Why don't you trim it? But why? Why don't I'm you trim curious. your nose? Have you ever <laughs> thought about trimming your nose? <laughs> if you cut it up nicely, it would look no, because, really jazzy. Yeah. Because I've interviewed Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, Mahatreya. All of you Indian sages have a really, really, really big beard. So I was just wondering why. I'm giving you a very vital information. It grows on all men. Right. Why men are removing it, they must answer. I True. did nothing. True. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm putting manure and growing it? No, it grows no, on I, a man. 
I tried growing mine. It goes all over the place and it gets really itchy. Getting itchy means to your aunt should have taught you how to wash your face. Okay, now you brought up my aunt twice. My aunt is actually <laughs> here. And this aunt, incidentally, oh my Natasha, God. <laughs> is the person Namaskaram who, her, who actually, Aunt Natasha, I don't know if it was you who made that joke about eating fish, but I am going to bring you live because she's the person who introduced me to you. Several years ago, she told me, Vishen, you don't have Sadhguru on mind, Dali. And at that point, I didn't know who Sadhguru was. And every few months, she'd text me one of your videos. You got to get Sadhguru. You got to get Sadhguru. You got to get Sadhguru. She didn't say if you don't get him, you'll go to hell or something. She didn't say I, that. Maybe she did. Then she's, maybe, she's maybe transformed. She's transformed you. <laughs> so, so, Natasha, you are now a panelist. And I told her I would bring her up and to honor her for introducing me to your work. She can turn on her camera and ask you a question. Hi, Natasha. Namaste, Ji, Sadhguru. It's such an honor to meet you and to be on this live conversation with you. I hear that you've been working on Vishen for some time. Three years or four years when Sadhguru was in Malaysia. And he was I, there for I, some economic forum or something? Maybe. But so I call my aunt Natasha Rainy, right? That's just my nickname for her. So Rainy, you have a question for Sadhguru. What is your question for Sadhguru? Sadhguru, I'd like to thank you so much because I had attended one of your courses in Singapore at the Marina Bay and meditation that I've been following. And up to today, I'm still meditating twice a day. And I think you're amazing. Tell your I nephew. Uh, tell your nephew. Oh, yeah, this is my nephew, my brother's son. Yeah. So your question? <laughs> yeah. So my question. He thinks question I'm is, weird. You say I'm amazing. He thinks I'm weird. What to do? Uh? <laughs> no, I, I think I think he means that you're very different from all the other gurus. You I have know, a great I sense know. of humor. I know. You have a great personality, and you're very, very frank. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. Thank you for putting those words in the mouth and making me seem like a decent man. <laughs> Auntie. So this is a really key thing, right? Sadhguru changes people's lives. He had my aunt meditating twice a day. And remember, I'm a meditation teacher. I never got my aunt meditating. My family, I guess we just don't listen to each other. But Auntie Rainy, what was your question for Sadhguru? You were going to ask a question? Yes, I wanted to know that, yeah, we're talking about karma here. And karma is all about cause and effect. And what you sow, so shall you reap, right? It's all about that. I want to know what is the connection between karma and destiny? Okay, that's a great question. Just before you answer, Sadhguru, I'm just going to put my aunt back as an attendee so she doesn't cause any more trouble because her mic is also echoing and I don't know what awful secrets she might share about me. Okay, so Natasha, you're back as an attendee, but Natasha's question, what is the difference between karma and destiny? It's a beautiful question and I would love for you to answer that. Destiny means people who believe that they can go where they want to go. If a destination means I'm going somewhere. When you leave your destiny from your hands and think it just happens to you, we can call that fate. When destiny is not handled hands-on, then it becomes fate or you become fatalistic from that. Karma means Till now, what has happened? See, you cannot change yesterday's karma. Today, you can only experience. Tomorrow, you can craft. What is past, you can only remember that, you can only learn from that. What is present, you can only experience it. What is future, you can craft it. So, crafting your destiny is only possible for one who sees my life is my karma, whether he or she uses that word or not. In so many ways, human beings around the world have realized that it is their thought, their emotion, their actions, their focus and orientation within themselves, which gets them where they want to go. Others think it is happening from somewhere else. So those who think it will happen from somewhere else will live accidental lives and they always have somebody else to blame for things that did not happen in their lives. For things that they are not, they think it's because of somebody. Now, the moment you see it's my karma, your successes and your failures are yours. The moment you see it is all yours, you will do the best you can. 
Now, this is destiny does not mean where you go in the world, because where you go in the world is in many ways a consequence of the times in which we exist. Right now, we are in 21st century, you are in Estonia, I am in Monterey, California, and we are talking, and she's in Malaysia, and she's talking. Well, this is possible because we are in 21st century. If we were thousand years ago, we would be doing something very different. Maybe we would be sitting in front of our cave and chatting with each other. We don't know where we would be, what kind of actions we would perform. It is very different. So what we do in the world is largely consequence of the times in which we exist. But how we are is essentially our destiny, because our destiny is in the way we experience it. You could be in the best place and be absolutely miserable. You can live in a palace and be horrendously miserable. You can live on the street and be exuberantly joyful. Both are possible. So your experience of life is where your destiny is, because it's your experience of life that determines the quality of your life, not where you are, where you're going, what you're doing. No, these things are only socially relevant. They are not existentially relevant. Existentially for you as you sit here, what is your experience of life? How profound is it? How pleasant is it? How wonderful is it? This is all that determines. This destiny, 100% you can take charge of. This because human experience is caused from within. Pain and pleasure, joy and misery, agony and ecstasy happens from within us. So when it is happening from within us, at least what is happening from within us must happen my way. What is happening from within me must happen my way. What is around me is not all mine. Everybody has their peace in it. Maybe I also have a peace. I can push for a bigger peace, but that's it. There is never going to be any time for any human being where the external situations will be 100% the way you want it. It never ever will happen. But what is within me must be 100% the way I want, otherwise I'm a lost case. This is what karma means. You take charge of all that you can take charge. There are a few things that won't happen in our lives. If we do not do what we cannot do, that's not the issue. But if we do not do what we can do, we are a disaster. Once you see my life is my karma, you will not be such a disaster. That is the important aspect. Thank you, Sadhguru. And people in the chat are saying how much they agree. We have 3,600 people live with us. Now, for those of you who are listening on the podcast or on the chat, I want to do a quick screen share. I want to show you Sadhguru's new book, Karma, A Yogi's Guide to Crafting Your Destiny. And I want to give you the link where you can learn more about the book. So firstly, go to isha.sadhguru.org forward slash karma. Okay. Isha.sadguru.org forward slash karma. If you're listening to this as you're driving a car, just remember karma Sadguru, put it in Google. This will be the first link that will show up. The second link will be the Amazon page. If you go to Amazon, I'm really impressed to see that this book has over 300 reviews, all of which are five stars. And these are what some people have said about it. Will Smith has said, with karma, Sadhguru explores both the limitations and possibilities of human existence. It is full of valuable insights to guide you to live a life of fulfillment and well-being. Now, in a moment, I'm going to share my favorite quote from karma, and I'm going to ask Sadhguru to explain what it is, because it's beautiful, but also a little mysterious. Stay tuned. Now, this is from Tom Brady. If you're American, you know who Tom Brady is. Forget what you think you know about karma. Sadhguru shows us it's not a punishment for bad behavior, but a vehicle for transformation and empowerment. This book will put you back in charge of your life. And then Rosanna Arquette said, the tool Sadhguru provides in karma brings me to a place of peace within myself. Thank you for your wisdom and transformational guidance. So again, isha.sadhguru.org forward slash karma. Now, I want to read out my favorite quote from the book. And to get Sadhguru's idea of what this quote means. And also, I got questions from the audience on Instagram. We will see if we have time to answer any of these questions. Okay, they are really interesting. So congratulations to all of you who asked questions. We will come to these in a moment. Now, the quote. Sadhguru, you ready for this? You so, just liked only two lines out of the entire book. Huh. <laughs> this, I will... I actually highlighted a ton of information on the book, but what I think is a really great book opens up questions. It makes you think, it makes you wonder. And there are parts of your book which are rather mysterious. I don't want to 
share everything because I want to encourage people to read it. But this is something that I loved. You wrote, and I want you to explain what this means. When you live by the memory of a single book, you are religious. When you live by the memory of several books, you are intellectual. When you live by the memory of several generations of people, you become a truly compassionate human being. But when you live beyond the memory of generations of people, you become a mystic. I would love for you to expand on that idea. Well, the first three things you understand, let me just talk about the last one. See, within us, as I said, this body is a huge body of memory, evolutionary, genetic, karmic, articulate, inarticulate, unconscious, subconscious, conscious levels of memories. You can bifurcate into many, many more strands. But essentially, what you know as myself is just a consequence of the memory that is stored within you, which is largely not in your excess, but it is playing out in its own way. The very way you sit and stand, the way you look, the way you behave, everything is controlled by your memory. Or in other words, in modern terms, let's say, this is an unconscious software that you have gathered within yourself. Whichever way the software is, that is the way the machine will function. If you want to go beyond this, then the existing software you must leave and either rewrite your software or learn to operate without software for a little while. If you want to rewrite your software, something different from the existing data which is already there, then you need access to another dimension of perception and knowing. Having said that, within us, there are different dimensions of intelligence. Well, in yoga, we see 16 parts to human mind. But let me make it four for the sake of understanding and convenience. The first one is the intellect, which is the front end of our intelligence, because this is very necessary for our survival. If we don't have a functioning intellect, we will not know how to survive. When I say functioning intellect, Essentially, intellect is discriminatory in nature. It tells you what is what, what is this, what is that. If you don't have an intellect functioning, you will not know whether to go through the wall or go through the door. That's how it will become. It is functioning all the time. It is, this functioning is happening from memory. You will see a bird or an insect comes into the house. It doesn't know how to get out. It doesn't recognize the door. It tries to go through the wall. It tries to go through the glass window. So that is happening because in its memory, it's not there. But your pet dog or your pet bird knows how to go through the door or the window, whatever is open. So this is the same thing. Without data, your intellect cannot function. So anything that functions with data is a limited possibility that it is functioning within those limitations. Memory is hugely empowering on one level, but it is also a boundary that now I've seen you, if I see you again, oh, this is my friend Vishen, okay? Suppose you are not in my memory. I look at you and think, oh, who is this stranger? So memory is also a boundary line, which most people refuse to cross. So whether you read one or 10 or 1,000 books, you're only building memory. If you operate within this memory, you're operating within your own self-imprisonment that you have caused to yourself. So there is another dimension of intelligence which is called as chitta, which is unsullied by memory within us. If you touch this intelligence, then really in the yogic culture, you know, yogis of the yore must have been <laughs> very, as in your words, weird or wacky or whatever the hell you want to call them. But they said, if you touch your chitta, God will become your slave. This is what they said. This is not me because if I say this, people want to come and kill me. All right. <laughs> Yogis of the Yor, thousands of years ago, they said, if you access your chitta, God himself will become your slave. A mystic means somebody who explored life beyond the accumulations that we have. When I say accumulations that we have, this body is an accumulation of the food that you've eaten, anchovies for you, and many things for many other people. <laughs> well, your mind is an accumulation of various impressions that have come into you. So everything that you have right now as myself is an accumulation. When you experience and access life, which is beyond accumulation, then you become a mystic. 
people keep asking me, Sadhguru, what is a mistake? I say, see, there are only two kinds of people, mystics and mistakes. Those who have made a mistake about their perception, because of the accumulations, limited accumulations that they have gathered, they are mistakes. Those who don't make a mistake about their perception, who are just seeing life, simple thing, you're just seeing life the way it is. People think you're a mistake, people think you're weird, wacky, what all you said today? And now three words of abuse, mistake, wacky, weird, but it's good. All these things are happening because what is normal has become so useless and within boundaries, variety of controls and no possibilities of being anything new. Anything new happens in America, they'll say, weird. And it's a good weird, I'm saying. I'm not saying it's an insult. It's a good weird. Weird means you're stretching yourself beyond what is a picket fence that you're fixed for yourself. If you cross that, it's weird. Are you crossing this fence consciously wanting to go beyond or did you fall over? There's a difference. If you fall over, it'll be one kind. If you cross it consciously, it's a different kind. For this, the most important thing that needs to happen, if you want to create a world full of mystics, what needs to happen is our education systems have to shift from being purely unipolar in terms of just being purely intellectual, not using other dimensions of intelligence which exist within the human being. If that one thing happens, you will see a lot of weird people. Hello. Absolutely. At Mind, Valley, <laughs> at Mind Valley, we celebrate weird, and that's exactly why we have so many programs on all dimensions of being human, not just the intellect, but the spirit and the soul. Thank you. And just want to share with the audience that Sadhguru's program on Mind Valley, the tentative title is going to be called A Yogi's Guide to Bliss. It's a tentative title, but it should be coming out in the next couple of months. And now, Sadhguru, I would love to bring up the top question from Talis. So this is the highest rated question, and I'm going to bring up Talis to ask you the question himself. Yeah, how does a question become a star question? Eh? Well, in this technology called Zoom, people can vote up questions. All right, all right. But what's the basis? <laughs> so I have no, no idea. No, that I'm just joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so feel free to answer the question in any way you want. Talis, you are now a panelist. Feel free to turn on your mic and video and go ahead and ask away. Hello, Vishen. Hello, Sadhguru. It's a pleasure to be here. My question for you is, how are you able to talk about such variety of subjects? I see that you talk about how to sleep better, how to eat better, how to do a lot of things better. So how do you seek knowledge where there is so much noisy information? So how do you seek knowledge and wisdom? Uh, I've never spoken about many subjects. I only spoke about one subject, life. And I'm talking about life, not because it's my knowledge, because I'm life. Are you? You're life too. No, yeah. but the problem is right now, most of the time you're not experiencing yourself as life. You're experiencing yourself as a bundle of thoughts, emotions, ideas, opinions, belief systems, prejudices. If you keep that aside, you're just a life. Essentially, your life, rest is all <laughs> society and stuff that you pick up. So if your life, see, you must ask all the other creatures. Maybe these days dogs are confused with their association with human beings. But if you take any other animal, let's say you take a mouse, you take a snake, all of them know how to eat, how to sleep, how to be healthy, everything, right? Yeah. So that's all I am. I'm just a creature. <laughs> no knowledge. <laughs> People ask me, Sadhguru, how do you know so much about environment? You're talking about this river, everything. I said, I am not an environmentalist. I am like a worm on the riverbed. A worm on the riverbed knows more about the river than all the scientists put together. So I'm just a worm. <laughs> thank you, Sadhguru. And thank you, Talis. And I want to bring up the next question, and it's a sadder question but I think it's very important that we answer this. So Shamant Kushka, Shamant, I'm going to bring you up to ask your question. From Mind Valley, you must explain because there's a whole lot of social media cats who will go out, Sadhguru admitted he's a worm. See, we told you he's a worm, then go on. <laughs> the people who are Mind Valley members, they're like the best people in the world, the kindest, gentlest, most compassionate people. And then uh, make me a member. Huh? <laughs> 
You want? What? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, I'll give you a form. Just put in your credit card information. It's not going to be free. Like, don't think just because you're. Who told mistake. you I have a credit card, man? <laughs> well, you bought a motorcycle. You can buy a Mind Valley membership, Sadhguru. Come on, get with the program. Currency. It's 2021. Do you carry Bitcoin? No, no, no coins. <laughs> so, Shamant, you had a very important question. I know it's a sad question, uh, condolences, but I want to give you a chance to ask this to Sadhguru as many people really wanted this question answered. Go ahead. Yeah, Mike, uh, Sadhguruji, Namaskaram, first of all. Honored to be on this call. Thank you, Vishen. See, just a few months back, four months back, I lost my 20-year-old brother-in-law to cardiac arrest. He was just 20. And we are still coming to terms with it, still grieving over it. So I just want to know, how do we come to terms with it? I mean, was it just karma? Karma, I'm sorry about that. See, we need to understand this. You don't try to explain away the loss of a loved one, okay? Oh, it's his karma, he died. How ugly is that? Yeah. How ugly is it to say, it's his karma and he died? This is the ugliest thing you can do. Karma is never about other people, it's only about you. It's only your karma you talk about, never about other people's karma, about the loss of life. We must understand that this is the nature of life. We are born and we die. Question is only when, how, you know, that's all. It's guaranteed that all of us will die, whether other things will happen in our lives or not, but all of us will definitely die for sure. But unfortunately, it happens untimely for certain people because we have an expectation a human being means he or she will live a certain amount of life. So these expectations are based on our assumptions, but life has its own ways, life has many aspects. So many young people have died in this pandemic, unfortunately, it's so many people that I know. Every day, fifteen to twenty people that I know well, Many people very dear to me are dying on a daily basis, I'm saying. So, we need to understand this, when we lose somebody, it is not that we should find some explanation and write them off. You don't write them off. You value people because in some way, they contributed and enriched your life, maybe just by a word, maybe by certain actions, maybe by a variety of other possibilities. In so many ways, Human beings around you have enriched your life. So it doesn't matter. See, all the people who are alive right now may not be with you, but you cherish them. Similarly, they may not be with you, but you just cherish them for who they are. Don't make them the source of misery in your life. Or oh, you are only for right now being affected by it because in some way they were a source of joy for you. Let it stay that way. They must always stay as a source of joy for you. The greatest disservice you can do to the departed person is you make them the source of misery in your life. Do not do that to them. This they don't deserve because if they were here, they would have been a source of joy for you. For whatever reason, life decides to leave. Do not try to find explanations for that. Why you are born, you never asked, isn't it? And why you die, don't ask. It's all right, it happens. We try to do our best to see that an individual human being lives a full-fledged life. But for many, many, many people, it doesn't happen. It's our business to see and do our best to see that they live a full life. But will it always happen? No. So, why you are born, why I am born, how did it happen? Don't go into these things because all you will have is hallucinations. Do not go into that. The important thing is as a human being, you valued that human being when they were alive, please value them when they're gone, with the same sense of joy and love in your heart. Do not kill that, just because they are not here. If somebody is not here, let's say somebody who, whom you love is not with you, is in another town, another country, is it not true that you will feel much more love and longing for them when they're not with you? Yes. The same should be true even for this person. Thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. I seek your blessings. So as we come to the final two minutes of this interview, Sadhguru, thank you so much for an amazing conversation. Thank you for giving your time to our community. Thank you to the 3,700 of you who showed up live in your busy day to participate in this conversation. 
and the tens of thousands more who will be listening to this on the podcast. I want to show you where you can learn more information on Sadhguru. You just have to go to isha.sadguru.org. And that's the website where you can learn everything about Sadhguru. You can attend an online satsang and so on. But isha.sadguru.org forward slash karma is where you can learn about the book. Again, if you're driving, don't worry about taking that down. Just go to Google, type in Sadhguru Karma. The book is a beautiful book. It is a deep book. It is a wonderful book to read because it is really, really, really going to get you thinking. And when you go to the Isha website, there's a very interesting karma quiz you can take. So you can see just how much you truly understand about the essence of karma. As I said, this is a book that sometimes will get you asking more questions, but that is the mark of a great book. It's going to open you up to new forms of discovery. So thank you so much, Sadhguru. Thank you. All the best for you and all your people. Absolutely. And I will take your tips in growing a beard. And if you ever (laughs) decide you want to buy a Harley and drive across America in a black leather jacket, I will be one of the first to sign up to be part of your posse. No, no, I don't ride a Harley. I'm riding either BMW or a Ducati because Harley is a half a car. I need a motorcycle. I respect that. <laughs> BMW or Ducati motorcycle. By the way, guys, I want you to Google Sadhguru on a motorbike. He has a strange fashion for motorbikes. Sadhguru, thank you for showing up with all your weirdness and wisdom. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. Bye. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.